Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Crystal, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Update on Marginal Zone Lymphoma. And today's program is a collaborative effort between cancer care and many other cancer organizations. And I do want to particularly call out to the Lymphoma Research Foundation, who been a long-term collaborating organization with us on many of our programs, and a great resource to all of you on the call as well. Um, and really, it's because of that collaboration and your interest in the topic today um, we have over 431 participants on the call today. And you come from all of the United States, from both um, urban and rural and suburban areas. And we also have international participants from Canada, India, and the United Kingdom. So a bit of a global call as well. Now, today's program is supported by an educational grant from Pharmacyclics LLC, an AbV company, and Janssen Biotech, Biotech, Inc., administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC. And I really want to thank them for their support of the program today. Now, we are very fortunate today to have a wonderful speaker, Dr. David Strauss. Dr. Strauss is attending physician, Lymphoma Service, Department of Medicine, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. He's professor of clinical medicine, Law Cornell College. And Dr. Uh, Strauss is going to really do a yeoman's presentation today and really cover all aspects of, um, or many aspects, let me put it that way, of marginal zone lymphoma, leaving some room for you to ask questions during the Q&A, of course. But he's going to provide an overview of marginal, cell, marginal zone lymphoma. He's going to talk about subtypes and review of treatment options. He will also talk about treatment for relapsed, refractory marginal zone lymphoma, managing side effects, and key questions to ask your healthcare team, the role of clinical trials, and follow-up care, and quality of life concerns. So it is now my great program for my opening, Dr. Strauss. Oh, well, good afternoon. Thank you for the kind introduction. Uh, I've been charged with discussing uh, marginal zone lymphoma, giving an overview this afternoon. Uh, marginal zone lymphoma is one of the non-Hodgkin lymphomas. This is a group of blood cancers uh, that involve white blood cells called lymphocytes. Uh, as an entity, it is a fairly common cancer, but it is not a single entity. It is a group of close to 100 different diseases that vary from some that are among the fastest growing and most aggressive in humans to others, like marginal zone lymphoma, that are among the most slowly growing in humans. So this is a what we call a low-grade B-cell lymphoma, uh, which means that on the average it has a very slow growth, and it is a disease that is not particularly associated with a decreased survival. It is a, as compared to patients who don't have this diagnosis. It is a chronic condition. So uh, the term marginal zone lymphoma is not very obvious where that comes from, but actually it comes from years ago when uh, they... Uh, 
identified this slowly growing lymphoma and uh, noted that the appearance of the malignant lymphocytes in the marginal zone lymphomas resemble normal lymphocytes in a region of the spleen that's called the marginal zone. And that's why, that's where this term comes from. I mean, it's not obvious that these normal marginal zone lymphomas and the uh, lymphocytes in the spleen are the, are the malignant cells, but they resemble them. That's where the term comes from. One second. So um, this disease uh, has a very uh, a good prognosis in general, uh, and many times, as I will uh, as I will discuss, uh, we do not uh, immediately start treatment, and sometimes some some of the marginal zone lymphomas really almost never require treatment or don't require treatment for a very long time. Sometimes they can undergo what we call transformation, so they can grow faster, and if you do a biopsy, it looks like a more aggressive lymphoma. It's the same underlying lymphoma, but as a result of its rapid growth, it can look different. That is a clear indication for treatment, and that does not occur in the majority of patients. So uh, there are several different. There, there are really three categories of marginal zone lymphoma that I'd like to discuss: uh, marginal zone lymphomas of the spleen, uh, marginal zone lymphomas that involve sites that are not spleen or lymph nodes. We call them extranodal marginal zone lymphomas. Sometimes they're called mucosa-associated lymphoid tumors or malt tumors, and I'll get into the reasons for that. And then uh, marginal zone lymphomas that principally involve lymph nodes, which is the most common site for most of the other lymphomas. So uh, splenic marginal zone lymphoma is a... Um, disease that involves uh, the spleen and often the bone marrow and sometimes the the blood so cells can kind of spill over from the bone marrow into the into the blood um, it lymph nodes may be involved but they're usually not very large and not uh, not very much involved the uh, symptoms of this are an enlarged spleen, which may not cause any symptoms. Occasionally, if it's really large, it can actually press on the stomach because the spleen is right next to the stomach in the left side of the abdomen and actually kind of uh, constrict the stomach somewhat so that people feel early satiety, they fill up easily, they have to eat frequently, and sometimes can lose weight. Sometimes these large spleens uh, with marginal zone lymphoma can outgrow their blood supply and they can have devitalized areas that can cause uh, uh, pain. Uh, and they also, uh, the enlarged spleens also can cause uh, faster destruction of, of normal blood cells 
than you see normally, and you can have anemia or a low platelet count or, uh, associated with this. And as I said, also this can some of the marginal zone lymphoma cells can appear actually in the blood. So um, originally, uh, the uh, there are other. I, before I get to that, I, I should say that there are other causes of anemia other than just the enlarged spleen kind of gobbling up uh, 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 blood cells. Uh, sometimes there can be associated autoimmune phenomenon that can contribute to that such as what we call autoimmune hemolytic anemia. Uh, there is an association with hepatitis C. Uh, in some, uh, many years ago, there was a uh, report that if patients were treated for hepatitis C with the treatments that were available almost 20 years ago, that you could see regressions sort of decreases in the size of splenic marginal zone lymphomas. Uh, we haven't really, uh, these, this report was really from Europe, this one report, and we haven't really confirmed that very often in the United States. And there's no data about the modern curative treatments for hepatitis C. As I'll get to, there are a number of other uh, marginal zone lymphomas that are associated or somewhat associated with infections. So um, the, the treatment for this for many years was thought was that was recommended was removing the spleen or splenectomy. And so I was always somewhat skeptical of this because the patients did very well, normal survival, really very well, and they had splenectomies. So it was never clear to me whether they had splenectomies that caused them to do well or whether they did well and they had splenectomies. So these days, we have other ways of shrinking the spleen. Uh, the most commonly used now, and it is really pretty much replaced removing the spleen as the frontline treatment, uh, is uh, rituximab, which is used in many other B-cell lymphomas. It is an immune treatment that uh, causes immune mechanisms in the body to destroy cancer cells. And it is a very well-tolerated treatment. Again, it is used in many of most of the non-Hodgkin lymphomas. Um, many times, uh, patients will have uh, a somewhat enlarged spleen and without very much in the way of, of lower, uh, other lower blood counts or anemia. And many of those patients will just follow and not treat immediately. Chemotherapy uh, has been reported uh, to be used in this uh, in, in this disease as well. Um, in particular, there was a there's a, a drug called 2CDA or cladribine, which is a standard treatment in a related disease called hairy cell leukemia. Uh, and sometimes that's been used in combination with rituximab. I have never found it necessary to use this, so I have no experience with this. Um, so, again, the, the front line, the, the, when we see patients with this, if they have no symptoms, if they don't really have much in the way of an anemia, if they don't have a really enlarged spleen that's causing 
any symptoms we we will observe. Our first line treatment would usually be rituximab, and uh, we would reserve splenectomy probably if uh, if we're not getting the response we want with rituximab. So I'd like now to turn to uh, the extranodal marginal zone lymphomas. Oh, I, I should just say that, as I said uh, earlier, there are close to 100 different types of, of uh, non-Hodgkin lymphomas. Some are very fast-growing. Others, like marginal zone lymphoma, are very slow-growing. And actually, with this, you know, there are many different types, so that marginal zone lymphoma overall is about 10% of, of non-Hodgkin lymphomas. So extranodal marginal zone lymphomas are marginal zone lymphomas that, in, that principally involve other organs besides lymph nodes or spleen. The most common of these uh, are uh, in the stomach, so-called gastric marginal zone lymphomas, but other sites that can be involved are uh, uh, other areas in the bowel, uh, the conjunctiva, the area, the lining of the eye and, and interior of the eyelid. There are occurrences in the eye socket, what we call the orbit. Uh, there can be uh, extranodal marginal zone lymphomas of the lung, of the skin, and other organs as well. The most common is uh, marginal zone lymphoma of the stomach. This is the one where there is the most association with an infectious agent called a bacteria called Helicobacter pylori. Uh, this is uh, also associated with uh, uh, car carcinoma or cancer of the, of the stomach in addition to uh, marginal zone lymphomas and is also associated with gastritis, so-called GERD, gastroesophageal reflux syndrome. Um, in, this is the one marginal zone lymphoma where treatment of the infection uh, can cause regression of the lymphoma. Um, not every case is associated with this. It is usually found on the biopsy uh, that's done of the stomach. Uh, there are also breath tests for it and so on. Not all cases are associated with it. Most of the experience in this country has found that treatment for, H for Helicobacter pylori, if you don't demonstrate it, is not really that helpful, although others have claimed the contrary, so that if we find it, our usual first treatment would be treatment of the Helicobacter pylori, which is usually about a two-week treatment with antibiotics. It can take a while for this to work so that uh, we would not really do another look into the stomach with an endoscopy probably for a few months after that. For patients where this doesn't work or patients who are not associated with Helicobacter pylori, our standard treatment is to use radiation therapy, which is very effective and is curative for many patients. Um, other uh, marginal zone, extranodal marginal zone lymphomas, and, and as these uh, extranodal marginal zone lymphomas are often 
associated with the GI tract or things that, if you remember embryology, things derived from the endoderm. Uh, and so the conjunctiva, lung, uh, gastrointestinal tract are all uh, derived from this, and that that's where the term malt or mucosa Mucosa uh, uh, refers to the lining of the gastrointestinal tract, mucosa-associated lymphoid tumors. So another malt tumor is those that involve the conjunctiva, the lining of the eye, and the eye socket, or the orbit. Um, oddly enough, these uh, can... Um, uh, be, these, these can often be localized. We use radiation therapy for this, which is very good for local control. Oddly, sometimes the recurrences will be in the opposite conjunctiva or the opposite eye for reasons that I don't understand. There is some associated association with another uh, infection, chlamydia, which can cause vaginal infections as well. And treatment, again, series from Europe have shown that treatment of the chlamydia with uh, anti-infective agents can cause regressions of this. Uh, we have never, we, we've never really found that. I don't think there are any reports of that in the United States. So we usually, particularly if they're localized, we usually give radiation therapy. Sometimes you can have a fairly large mass in the, in the in the eye socket that can compress the eye, and we want to get that under control. And again, you know, we have very good results with that. Many patients never require anything else. Another site is the lung, marginal zone lymphomas of the lung. Um, there are also marginal zone lymphomas of the skin. These are very interesting, uh, and I guess to give some context for what I said about the sort of uh, non-life-threatening uh, course of this disease, uh, many years ago, before we had the tools to really identify, to make a diagnosis of lymphoma using special things that we've developed over the last several decades, there was a literature on what was called pseudolymphoma of the lung, and there was another literature for pseudolymphoma of the skin. And what the observation was that using the limited kinds of stains under the microscope, they saw collections of these cells in the, in the lung or in the skin. They did a biopsy. They, sh they found collections of lymphocytes that just under routine stains did not appear very different from normal lymphocytes. And in many of the patients, nothing happened although some of them eventually had growth and another biopsy would be diagnosable as lymphoma. So I never, you know, pseudolymphoma is kind of a crazy, you know, it's kind of a nonsensical term, but I think the observation, you know, we now know that these so-called pseudolymphomas are marginal zone lymphomas, but the observation is the same. And I think the mistake that's done is to overtreat. I can tell you, marginal zone lymphoma of the lung, I have you know a number of patients in my practice, and I can't really think of one that I've had to treat. I've had many that I've just followed for years, and really basically nothing happens. Um, so 
the treatment for these, I guess, radiation therapy for local disease in the stomach, in the in the eye, in the conjunctiva, in the orbit, uh, for a localized site in the skin, we might give radiation therapy. However, you may see further recurrences in the skin, and if they and they can kind of come and go by themselves, so that again. If we radiate and we get other sites outside of the radiation field, we might just say, you know what, we we gave this with a possibility that that might be a, that might be the end of it. But since it isn't, we may not necessarily treat those recurrences. So I think again, there's there's some confusion about this, and some people feel that they have to treat everything. For example, there was a large series of uh, uh, extranodal marginal zone lymphomas from Europe that were treated with a variety of different uh, regimens in a randomized fashion. With rituximab, which I mentioned, is often our frontline treatment for this, the antibody treatment, chlorambucil, which is an oral chemotherapy drug that has been used for five decades, and is really the first treatment that we use for these low-grade lymphomas. So rituximab alone, chlorambucil alone, or leucoran alone, or combination of rituximab and um, and chlorambucil. And it showed uh, longer remissions for the combination. But the question is, you know, what was the what patients were they treating, and did they really need to be treated? So. Um, I guess I would then like to turn lastly to nodal marginal zone lymphomas. Those are marginal zone lymphomas that involve mostly lymph nodes. Again, you know, we have to have a good reason to treat. There is no evidence uh, with this and other marginal zone lymphomas that we eventually treat that treatment at the time when it seems appropriate would give you uh, uh a better outcome or a worse outcome than treating at the time of diagnosis. And so, again, rituximab uh, antibody treatment would probably be the front line. Some patients who uh, have more aggressive disease might be treated with the other th treatments that we use for other low-grade lymphomas, like follicular B-cell lymphoma, such as combinations of rituximab with chemotherapy, for example, bendamustine, or other treatments. Recently, my colleague, uh, Ariella Noy, uh, has, uh, did a study, which is the first study that ever got an FDA approval for a drug to treat marginal zone lymphoma. And I think the reason is that this is a rare, a relatively rare disease, 10% of non-Hodgkin lymphomas. Many patients don't require any treatment. So for a pharmaceutical company to do the work and expense that you need to do the trials to get approval, uh, you know, they just don't want to do. But they did this with Ibrutinib or Imbruvica, which is also approved for chronic lymphocytic leukemia and Waldenstrom's macroglobulinemia. So Dr. Noy did a trial of this in patients who'd received other treatment, rituximab with or without other treatment, and found a very high response rate, like is seen in Waldenstrom's macroglobulinemia and CLL, 
And again, so this is now approved for that use, and it is available. It's FDA approved, and so insurance, you know, if you need it, is probably going to cover it. But again, you know, the question is, do you really need need this? And the, the problem with ibrutinib is that there's no clear pathway to figuring out when you can discontinue it. Uh, there's not a lot of data in marginal zone lymphoma, which is relatively rare, but we know in chronic lymphocytic leukemia that if you stop it, uh, the disease may come back fairly quickly. So again, this is a low-grade non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Um, there are a number of different treatment options. I think that in my practice, I really find that the question is more when and if than what. Uh, there does not seem to be evidence that if you start treatment immediately at time of diagnosis, you will do better than doing it at a later time. Uh, when it becomes necessary, you will not do better treating immediately. And there are some patients that I've never treated. I've followed for years and I've never had to treat. So I think I'm pretty much close to 29 minutes, which is what they asked me to do. And I guess at this point, uh, I'll turn it back to Dr. Messner, who I believe will have some remarks, and I guess we can open it up for questions and discussion. Oh, thank Thanks you for so your much, attention. Doctor. Thank you so much, Dr. Strauss. That was really phenomenal and really a yeoman's presentation. And so we all, um, I'll give you a moment to digest this, put your questions together. I'm going to say a few words just about cancer care services, just so you know that you can access these services. And then um, we will then take your questions. And uh, we'll try to take as many as possible. So prepare them um, as, they're, as I'm talking. Um, so Cancer Care is a national organization, and you know, you've just heard a lot of information to absorb, and uh, we offer you know, a lot of different services to help people to cope with really the emotional and the social and the practical aspects of you know, living with uh, cancer, with marginal zone lymphoma or any type of cancer at all. And um, we offer... Uh, so we talk to people on the telephone. We do offer counseling services by trained oncology social workers. In the New York area, we do see people in our offices as well. And for people nationally or out of that area, we talk to them on the phone. We also have online support groups. We actually have 120 online support groups. And we do have online support groups specifically for people with lymphoma. So that can be helpful. And also for groups for people who are caregivers as well. So I know on the call today we have both people living with marginal zone lymphoma themselves, as well as their caregivers, people, family members. Um, and so that's something that, and we have a whole young adult program as well. So lots of different programs here. Um, we also offer practical assistance. So that means financial assistance, help in finding resources. Um, we do have a copay foundation as well. And uh, we also offer these educational programs and have a number of them coming up, um, actually, and uh, Dr. Strauss has spoken on another uh, uh, of our programs as well, so we're happy to have him back today. He's just wonderful. Um, and we also um, have um, a I do want to mention the Lymphoma Research Foundation because they do have a lot of publications on this particular topic um, today and I think on many other types of lymphoma. So for those of you looking for that specific information, and that's what we would do. Our staff will, either if we don't have the information ourselves, we will refer you to an organization that has them. So we're, we're a nice uh, also resource to, to, 
with a call. Our number, our, our helpline number is 1-800-813-4673, or you can visit our website at www.cancercare.org. And for people who are calling us, coming on this call internationally, we do actually, for our online support groups, those are open to people internationally as well as these programs, these educational workshops. And you just would visit our website. You can register for these programs on the website, and you can also register for the online groups. And you can also post a question if there's something that you're concerned or need some help with, and our oncology social groups will follow up with you. So, um, so, and all of those services are at no cost, so just to be aware of that as well. And that's true for all of the organizations we've listed on the brochures or on the information that you have on the website about the, the different organizations that are there for you. Now we do have time for questions, and so I'm going to ask um, uh, Crystal if she would explain to you how to queue up for questions, because some of you may not have been on this program before. Some of you have, I realize, so I know how to ask questions. And Crystal, if you could tell people what to do to queue up for questions. I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Okay. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. And again, ladies and gentlemen, that is star one to ask a question. And we do have a question in front of our online participants, and this is for Dr. Strauss. Does having marginal zone lymphoma mean I have an increased risk of other cancers? Um, no, no, not not really. I mean, um, I guess I mentioned transformation, which occurs in a small number of patients where the same underlying marginal zone lymphoma can grow faster and look different if we do a biopsy. Uh, that's really not a different cancer. That's just a faster version of the underlying marginal zone lymphoma. And that is a, a clear indication for treatment, which is usually similar to what we use for more aggressive lymphomas like diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. But I, I'm not aware that there is particularly uh, an association with other cancers. That being said, I can tell you something that's just an observation. I have had, I have had some referrals from surgeons who will do a surgery for something, for example, removing a kidney tumor, and they might find a little bit of marginal zone lymphoma adjacent to that. And I don't really know what to make of that, and I'm not sure there's any literature of an association. I can tell you that the marginal zone lymphoma, a little bit that's found, almost never requires any treatment, and they're just followed. But there's not a really uh, a strong literature really associating this with other cancers. Okay, thank you. And I believe we have a telephone question as well now. Thank you. And our question comes from Tiffany F. Your line is open. Yes, hi. Uh, can you hear me all right? Yes, yeah, good. Absolutely. Sure. Yes, so this question is for Dr. Strauss. So, I'm a caregiver for my father who was diagnosed with marginal zone lymphoma. Uh, he has nodal marginal zone. And um, he his over the last six months, his uh, lymphoma has been behaving more aggressively. He, uh -huh. recently had a he recently had a biopsy, and it showed that it has not transformed to diffuse uh -huh. B cell. 
Uh, yes. However, because he has uh, multiple masses uh, yes. now growing, they have yes. decided to treat. And so I was just curious in your expert yes. opinion how you would typically treat that when it is behaving more aggressively. Yes, yes. Sometimes that does occur, definitely. And as I mentioned, you know, if it is aggressive, it may require uh, what we call chemoimmunotherapy with an antibody like rituximab and chemotherapy. If it's more slowly growing, then rituximab alone might be tried first. But we would probably treat this very similar to the way we treat other low-grade B-cell lymphomas when they require treatment, such as rituximab and bendamustine, uh, or rituximab and CHOP, or rituximab and cladribine. So I think probably it sounds like the clinical behavior is such that he is going, you know, from what you tell me, that he, he probably is going to need treatment and it would probably be similar to the treatment that we use for other low-grade B-cell lymphomas when they need chemotherapy. Thank you very much. Thank you. Excellent question. Excellent response. Thank you. And we have another question for you, Dr. Strauss. Um, what are the chances of an online participant, what are the chances of relapse for someone 65 years old and in good health otherwise? I am in remission and my doctor tells me the lymphoma is gone. And again, if you could just answer this in a general way, it would be helpful. Um, well, uh, sometimes, the although this is a blood cancer, it's not a solid tumor, sometimes it is truly localized. And in those cases, um, local treatment, usually radiation therapy, is curative. However, in other cases, uh, there may be a small amount of disease in another area, which eventually, and it may take years, will show up. And at that point, whether it requires treatment or not depends on the particulars of that. So I would say that if you had local treatment, and you know, there is a chance that you're cured, but, you know, this will really, time will really tell on this. And I think it is unpredictable. I mean, this is not a solid tumor. It's a blood cancer. So if you have a localized uh, area, say, of the orbit, and it occurs, uh, which is the eye socket, or of the stomach, and it occurs in another site that wasn't radiated, we don't think that it would have spread from that site or metastasized. We think that you probably had other disease in another area which eventually grew up. But on the other hand, you, you aren't going to know that except with time. And there is a chance that you know, if you had local treatment, that you were cured. But again, that time will tell with that. If it does recur, it is very likely not to be a calamity Excellent. and may not even require immediate treatment. And we have another question in front of our online participants. Um, what can you do for the fatigue related to marginal zone lymphoma? Some days I find it hard to get out of bed to get to work. That's a tough question. Um, fatigue is a very difficult symptom to get to get an understanding of. Um, lots of things can cause it. Um, 
I wouldn't, I mean, there are other more aggressive lymphomas, Hodgkin lymphoma, that are more likely to cause this kind of symptom not directly related to the tumors. Marginal zone lymphoma, not so often. So I, I, I guess I'm, 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 I tend to be a bit skeptical that there, that the fatigue is directly related to the lymphoma. I mean, you want to be very careful in not necessarily starting treatment for something where you really don't have an understanding of what's causing it. That being said, I can't say that if everything else is ruled out, that what we would call a therapeutic trial of treating the marginal zone lymphoma to see if that improves uh, would sometimes be appropriate. And of course, I mentioned particularly splenic marginal zone lymphoma is associated with anemia, and you know, anemia is a, is absolutely the most common medical cause of fatigue. And if that's the case, that would be an indication for treatment. So I think it's kind of a general question. Excellent. Thank you. That's, and that's a question that comes up on many of our programs about fatigue. It, it seems to be an issue, in your, and it should be worked up. It could be caused by other things. You, did you want to comment on other health problems that can, comorbid health problems that can cause fatigue? Or does that, well, I think, that I think you know, the ones associated with marginal lymphoma would be anemia. Definitely, you know, that is a well-documented cause of fatigue, more fatigue with more anemia, and certainly that is a definite indication for treatment. Uh, other than that, I mean, it's, I don't know, I mean, it's not real, autoimmune diseases can be associated with fatigue, like rheumatoid arthritis, for example, not so clear uh, with with marginal zone lymphoma. Excellent. Well, this is, thank, these are wonderful questions, and thank you, Dr. Strauss, for just addressing them so clearly. Um, so um, we have a question from one of our participants. It's a difficult question to answer. Um, how, I just wanna, how do you prevent a cancer diagnosis from taking over your thoughts? I'm watching and waiting, and the thought that I have cancer is eating away at me. So, yeah. Um, that's so, an excellent question. Yeah, that's a really excellent question. And I guess sometimes anxiety and your tolerance for living with a chronic condition can be a factor in in making a decision for treatment um, you know i i would say the majority of my patients that i follow are are comfortable with that and i guess the 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 consolation is that i'm following very carefully and should it seemed that uh, that treatment would be helpful. I, you know, would immediately jump in with that. But it is very difficult to live with uncertainty. And, you know, I guess cancer. There are many chronic conditions that we, as internists, treat. I mean, surgeons tend to cure things by removing them. We treat a lot of chronic conditions. I mean, I think there are other chronic conditions that are not malignancies that I sometimes think may be helpful in kind of thinking about this. For example, diabetes or hypertension. I mean, you have measures to control these things with diabetes. You get a diet, you get insulin, you get an oral agent. Uh, 
for uh, high blood pressure, you'll get a diet, you'll get some kind of, you'll get a diuretic, you'll get some kind of antihypertensive agent. These things do not cure these chronic conditions, but they can control them. So I sometimes think that that's a good way of thinking about this. Again, the word cancer and malignancy is very scary, but I think that's a useful way of thinking about it. But there are, it is very difficult for some people to live with the uncertainty of this. Many people are reassured if they're followed carefully and, you know, you say, look, you have a question, you call me. You notice a lump, I'll come in, I'll take a look at it, and we'll see. So, But I, I, I think it's a really excellent question. And sometimes people are so anxious that really it's probably going to be a good thing to give them treatment, even though under other circumstances you might not. You have to kind of individualize for the patient. So I think that's an extremely important and really excellent question. And it really is, and, and and I think your points are so well taken, Dr. Strauss, indeed. We actually do see a lot of people who actually um, contact us for the support of talking with their physician just to, to join um, a support group sometimes to be talking to other people to see how they're coping with that sense of uncertainty. Um, and also... I think sometimes people want to talk to someone individually, but often groups can be very supportive. It really depends. Some people like a group. Some people prefer to be talking to someone individually, um, and some people like either a telephone or online support group. So, um, and also in your where you're being treated as well, um, you can work that out with your physician. It can be very helpful as well to decide, um, you know, just to really be upfront with your physician, just as Dr. Strauss has said, that this is such an important question, so your physicians want to hear about this. Because here you are doing well, and yet you're, you're the, uh, the fear of uncertainty is an issue. I actually am going to mention at the end of the call that we're doing a program on cancer survivorship, which, in, which we're going to be addressing this topic in great detail in a, in a whole hour program. So I will mention this at the end as well. But it's, it is, it's an issue uh, across the board, and I think um, it might find that interesting as well. So thank you for that excellent question. Um, and that's another question from one of our online uh, questions. These are really quite uh, excellent questions. I have extranodal MZL. The doctor says that he will give me antibiotics and proton pump inhibitors and that there is a high chance that the treatment will remove a lymphoma. How does the treatment right. do that? Do I need chemotherapy? So, so you must you must have associated helicobacter. This sounds like a lymphoma, the, a marginal zone lymphoma of the stomach, extranodal marginal of the stomach, and there's probably an association with this bacteria I mentioned, Helicobacter pylori. So, um, you know, I think a proton pump inhibitor for the symptoms of the heartburn and and you know GERD type symptoms uh, and a treatment uh, with antibiotics to try to eliminate the Helicobacter pylori. And then follow up to see if you get a regression. So I, I, I discussed that a little bit earlier in my discussion of the marginal zone lymphomas of the stomach. Excellent. Okay. Um, and we have another question from one of our online participants. Um, I've just been diagnosed with stage four um, marginal zone lymphoma. I always hear that stage four is quite advanced in cancer, but my doctor tells me that um, for MCL, it's different. How is it different? Right. I'm in shock from a diagnosis and can't wrap my head well, around having advanced cancer. Well, I mean, so the staging for lymphoma is not 
that helpful in many lymphomas because this is not a solid tumor. I mean, solid tumors start in a particular organ and then spread from there. For example, colon cancer starts in the wall of the colon, the cells in the wall of the colon. They can spread to lymph nodes around the colon. They can spread through the blood to the liver, lung, or other sites. We refer to that as metastasis. So that blood cancers, lymphomas are blood cancers. Marginal zone lymphoma is one of them. And these are not solid tumors. So you can have a single site, and if you develop another site and you get treated for that, it does not recur in that original site, and you develop it in another site. We don't think it's spread from that original site. We think that you had a small amount of disease in another site, and it eventually showed up. So the stage stage four means that you have disease in a lymph node or spleen site plus another site that's not a lymph node. That would make you stage four. But that has really no relevance to your prognosis and the course of the disease or even whether or not you need immediate treatment. I guess it would mean that if you do get treatment, you're going to have to get systemic treatment, that is treatment that's going to get at it wherever it is, like an antibody given into the vein, rituximab, or chemotherapy, rather than surgery or radiation. So, But again, I think stage four is, again, scary like the word cancer, but it doesn't, in the case of marginal zone lymphoma, really mean that much because many, if not most cases, are stage four and still have this kind of excellent prognosis that I've talked about. Excellent. This is really very helpful. And we do have a telephone question now. Uh, Crystal? Thank you. Our next question comes from Brian B. Your line is open. Yeah, for a marginal zone lymphoma in the lung, uh, can you tell me what role uh, CT scans play in either determining if treatment you know, is required or also then as a predictor of when treatment might be required in the future? Excellent question. Uh, I would say we're sort of stuck with uh, CT as the, way of, uh, the imaging way to follow uh, marginal zone lymphoma in the lung. Again, I think that the, I think that this disease tends to be over-treated. Uh, I have patients that I follow. They may have, sometimes they have just one site and it's removed and they never have anything else. Uh, very often, though, they'll have multiple sites, even in both lungs. And they may wax and wane a little bit. They may be a little larger on one CAT scan and smaller on another. I can tell you that, I mean, again, the the big question is when and if and what. I mean, there are a number of treatments which I have mentioned, uh, but, again, I, in my experience, I just virtually never, and I can't even recall a case where I've actually treated. And I have some patients that I follow for 20 years. And so, again, the question is when and if rather than what. And, um, you know, I suppose if you have a lot of growth of something in the lung that's kind of, it's kind of pooping along and then all of a sudden 
one of the masses has really increased in size, then you would want to get a biopsy because it could have transformed and you'd want to document that or it may be a more aggressive, you know, even if it hasn't transformed. And that could be an indication for treatment, but I can't tell you that I can remember. I mean, that's it's kind of a hypothetical and I, I can't actually off the top of my head remember any case of mine that actually had that. But that certainly would be a reason to do another biopsy and see what that is, whether it's marginal zone lymphoma that could get one of the treatments that I mentioned, or whether it's transformed into a faster-growing lymphoma, which you would treat a bit differently. Thank you. We're actually, I just, just, we're actually pulling together our cases from Memorial. Uh, I have a medical student uh, who has pulled together our cases. We're doing an analysis. And we hope to uh, get together a presentation for the American Society of Hematology meeting later in the year. And we'll see. I mean, this has been my experience, but we'll see overall in the Memorial Sloan Kettering experience, you know, what we have seen with the marginal zone lymphomas of the lung. Well, that's excellent and something important to, to look out for for everybody. That's wonderful. That's Incredible, and Doctor, I have to say that Doctor Strauss has worked in this area for many years and has probably the most more experience than anybody I can think of in in treating uh, lymphomas in general. He's, he's he's spoken on a number of our programs, but actually everyone pretty much defers to him because Doctor Strauss really does know so much about um, all these treatments. So we're very lucky to have him on the call today. Um, so thank you for that excellent question, and thank you uh, thank you, Doctor Strauss, for addressing it. Um, we have another question in front of our online participants. Um, are there supplemental treatments to marginal zone lymphoma? I am finishing up my chemotherapy and hoping for remission. I'd like to know what else I can do to aid remission and prevent relapse. Another excellent question. Um, you know, uh, this is not a lifestyle disease. I mean, this is not alcohol smoking related. I mean, it just kind of happens. Bad luck. Um, I think I, I am a, a strong supporter of what we call integrative medicine uh, or complementary medicine. We have a really excellent uh, service here uh, devoted to that, which was founded by my good friend Barry Castellith, who is now retired but is carrying on. And this service uh, really focuses on non 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 conventional uh, uh, approaches. Uh, particularly to supportive care, not so much as direct active treatment of the cancers, such as acupuncture, meditation, tai chi. Um, and I think these things can be very, very helpful uh, to patients, uh, particularly in conjunction with, uh, with, with active treatment. So... Um, you know, we like to be masters of our fate, captains of our fate, and masters of our, our our fate. But I think that if you get a good remission and you've gotten good treatment, I mean, unfortunately, again, we're left with this uncertainty question and unpredictability. But I think you know, you just be followed carefully by your doctor and. You know, should something come up, I mean, 
we have we now have a brutinib, which is a great drug. We have other things that we can use if patients relapse after their first treatment if they need it. So, I, you know, I wish I could tell you that you know if you if you lose weight, if you exercise and stuff like that, it would really increases your chances of not having a relapse. But unfortunately, I think those things are good, but I'm not sure that will really affect what's going to happen. Thank you. Wow. And I'm gonna. Um, we have one last question today. It's on a telephone. I have one last telephone question. And uh, so, um, uh, Crystal. Thank you. Our next question comes from Gia I. Your line is open. Dr. Strauss, um, after being on rituxan to treat splenic marginal zone lymphoma, what do you think about uh, rituxan maintenance therapy? Uh, that's an excellent question. Also. Um, Rituxan, uh, I, I don't think there is really a literature on that. Uh, there is a literature on rituxan treatment of low-grade uh, nodal lymphomas, and it's been found that if you get maintenance treatment for a variable length of time, usually given as a single, usually rituxan is given weekly for four weeks, and then it can be given every two months, every eight weeks, how long you should do it. I mean, if you do it for a long time, you will have a longer remission. On the other hand, is that better than having a short time and getting treated if you need it again, which you can do? So I don't think there is really much of a literature for splenic marginal zone lymphoma on that. How long should you give maintenance rituximab? I mean, the original study that was done, not so much more in follicular B-cell lymphoma than in marginal zone in Switzerland, showed that four weekly, four uh, maintenance treatments every eight weeks was better than just being followed, at least with respect to relapse, although whether or not ultimately being the patients who didn't get maintenance, if they were retreated, if they would have the same outcome, I don't know. No difference in survival. Not surprisingly, they did another study that compared four maintenance treatments with 12 maintenance treatments, and the remission was longer. But, you know, that's a lot of rituxans. And what's, you know, it doesn't affect survival, and there's no evidence that, you know, beginning that, that, that being retreated if you're not on maintenance wouldn't give you the same outcome. So I think that maintenance treatment, I mean, there and there is really a dearth, there is really a, a lack of data for splenic marginal zone lymphoma in particular. I think that's a discussion that you could have with your doctor. I mean, I think to get four to six maintenance treatments would be okay. I also think... Uh, not getting it would also be okay because if you need it in the future, you could be, you know, there's a very good chance you could be successfully treated at that time and not have to take the maintenance. So it's, it's a very good question, and I'm sorry for the long-winded response, but I think I think it's a, it's a treatment option depending on on you and your doctor how you feel about things, but it is not a mandate that everybody has to do. And again, there is very little, there's really no data for splenic marginal zone lymphoma in particular because it's such a rare disease. It'd be very hard to do a randomized trial because you just wouldn't have enough patients to really demonstrate anything. 
Well, this, I have to say, Dr. Strauss, this has been a remarkable program. Um, I think all of us on the call today feel very honored to have you on the call today, and it's just been an amazing program. And um, your presentations have been wonderful, the questions have been wonderful, and um, we can't ask for anything more than this. Um, I, I want to thank all of, I want to thank Dr. Strauss particularly. I want to thank all of our participants who really, really asked such great questions. And um, I did say that we might not be able to answer all your questions, so I know there are more questions in queue, so I want to actually let you know how to get your questions answered. So indeed, for those of you who still have medical questions, of course, your healthcare team is your very best place to go because they know you the best, but we do also know that you all like to look for other places to get information. So we'd like you to go to credible sources for your information. So I do recommend First of All Lymphoma Research Foundation. They are um, they're listed as one of our organizations that we work with on these programs, and they do offer just wonderful resources and publications, and we work with them very closely. So their, um, their uh, website is www. Um, lymphoma.org, and their 800 number is 1-800-500-9976, and all of this information will be sent to you, so any of the resources that we mentioned during the program, we will be including in the evaluation that we send to you after the program. Um, so it's not just an evaluation, you'll also get information that you can actually help, help you on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, in addition to them, we also often recommend these are called the National Cancer Institute, um, they have a toll-free number, 800-422-6237. But they also have a wonderful website, www.cancer.gov. And what's great about that website is that you actually can, uh, there's a live chat feature. You can post your question. They can give you all the kind of information you need, and you can take it back to your treating healthcare team. In addition, if those of you who would like to access any services from Cancer Care, you can, you can contact us um, at our 800 number or our website, and again, you'll be getting that information. You've been getting it probably all along anyway, but you'll be getting it again at the end of the program as well. Um, uh, and uh, our 800 is 1-800-813-4673, and our website is www.cancercare.org. And, you know, most importantly, as we conclude the program today, I would not want any one of you to feel like you're alone in coping with um, with cancer, with marginalized lymphoma, and also for the caregivers, both people living with um, marginalized lymphoma and their caregivers. And I do want to call your attention to a program we are doing on June, June 19th. Um, it's on current perspectives on cancer survivorship, which will address some of the issues about fear of recurrence, um, concerns about just living with um, you know, survivorship, and I think that may be an issue for many of you on the call today, and certainly Dr. Strauss has highlighted that. Um, so um, that, I think, that might be an interesting program for all of you, and you'll be getting information about that particular program and a number of the ones that we have coming up that might be of interest to you. And as we conclude, we don't want any one of you to leave this program thinking that you are alone. And we do know that many times um, that you do sometimes feel that you're alone, that you may feel that way at different times of the day or in the evening. We want you to know that you're now part of this really large community of support. That there are many organizations out there to help you, and they really can help you and your healthcare team so that, um, so that you can have discussions and get support. I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.